everyone, this is James Lindsay. You are listening to another episode of the New Discourses podcast, and we are discussing in a huge sprawling series, critical education theory. Um, I'm trying to dip in and out of the old literature. I don't want to just Paulo Freire you into the ground over and over and over again, um, but we've got a few of those. And you'll, you, you may recall, we've just done this chapter six of Paulo Freire here in the broader critical education series podcast. Uh, series as well as on the new discourses podcast that we're doing right now kind of in order uh, so if you haven't checked those out you should but before that we did one talking about the concept of uh, kind of racial literacy in um, second grade classrooms critical race theory in second grade classrooms from a, a uh, paper in 2006 or yeah 2006 and uh, we called that episode your kids go to Paulo Freire's Marxist schools with the idea that I was showing you there that Paulo Freire's ideas, which we've been discussing in 2006, were already shaping, unambiguously shaping, uh, early childhood education, second graders, seven-year-olds. And then I went into those two episodes going through the sixth chapter, which is a workhorse chapter of Paulo Freire's book, The Politics of Education from 1985, wherein I said that uh, in the first of those two episodes, I lay out how what Freire accomplished with his work was to Marxify education, to make education itself a Marxist theory. And then in the second of those two episodes, I elaborate going through the second, the harder back half of chapter six of that book. And um, that's where I discussed that this is really the birth of the groomer school. Uh, Paulo Freire's educational theory is a Marxification of education itself, not just putting Marxism in education, but a Marxification of education. And we'll, we'll, I'll discuss that in more detail in just a second. And then his method, which is called the dialogical method, is the birth of grooming schools. The point is to position the teacher, no longer as teacher, but as educator, that's better understood as a groomer, into a political consciousness for the no longer student, but now learner, who is in dialogue with the teacher as an equal. That's his dialogical method. The, the educator and the learner are both learners about their society and its context together. But the educator has a role that's kind of more like a facilitator, but it's actually, it's, it's cult. Political cult grooming is what it is. It's grooming the learner, if you will, the student, to see the world in a particular way. And that's what Freire's project is. It's cult grooming. It is a Marxist cult grooming project. And his mechanism is to do that by Marxifying education itself. So what I mean by the Marxifying of education, the Marxification of education, just very briefly, before I jump into what we're going to talk about today, which is now going to be racial literacy in a high school classroom. So we're going to see that racial literacy is the critical race theory reinterpretation of Paulo Freire's idea of literacy. So now that I've said that, what did what is Freire's Marxification of education? And what he said is that literacy itself is like a form of bourgeois property. You have the literate are people who are at the center of society that are in the superstructure of society. He literally says that. And then the illiterate is to be understood as a marginal man who's marginalized by a society that favors literacy. That's a Marxist theory of being literate or being educated or of knowledge itself, that which you learn by being or know by being literate and educated. And so he's created the Marxist conflict theory in the concept of being educated and literate itself. And so what he does is he redefines literacy 
And basically, you end up recreating again, whether it's from the way Marx phrases things or Lenin phrases things. Um, I'm thinking right now of Lenin, where he talks about that there's there's bourgeois democracy and proletarian democracy, and that true democracy is communist, but proletarian democracy, which is run by the awakened class conscious Marxists, is closer to true democracy, whereas bourgeois democracy is a fake uh, simulation of actual democracy that uh, refuses to be actual democracy and that blocks actual democracy from coming in. Well, we have the same dynamic happening in Freire with education. So he says that being literate, the way he doesn't say this quite explicitly, but his intention is that being literate means being literate in the existing system. And the existing system is the thing that must be overthrown because it generates this marginalization and oppression of the so-called illiterate. So it's not just literacy like um, can you read or not read. It's can you participate in the existing society? Are you competent to work? Do you know the social and cultural mores? Have you learned to uh, basically live in or read the society you exist in? inside of and then reproduce its modes. And so then that for him would be the idea of bourgeois literacy. He doesn't use that term, but that's what he's talking about, about being formally educated or literate in the existing system. And so what you need is a proletariat, a proletarian literacy, a peasant literacy, a, as Antonio Gramsci might've had a working class intellectualism is what he called that. And so what, what Freire is calling for then is literacy, meaning critical consciousness, being you are literate when you are critically conscious. And so the educator's job is to be a groomer into critical consciousness, and that's teaching him to read his social social and political context in a Marxist light. Okay, so literacy means becoming Marxist under the Freirean Marxification of education and literacy itself. So now we have this concept that you hear about in the critical race theory education literature everywhere. I've run into this term found it frustrating for years because I never quite grasped what it is, and it's racial literacy. I knew it had to do with basically becoming a critical race theorist, but I didn't, you're racially literate if you're a critical race theorist, but I didn't realize that it's a d- direct grafting off of Paulo Freire's political literacy. And it literally is a direct grafting off of Paulo Freire's political literacy, his Marxification of education. And so, Everything that you read, whether it's in ethnic studies, you'll see it some in social emotional learning, but especially you're going to see in ethnic studies, multicultural education, um, culturally relevant education or teaching, culturally responsive education and teaching, any of this stuff that's incorporating critical race theory and beyond into education is going to be talking about racial literacy under the broader umbrella of so-called social justice education. And so I just wanted to read through the introduction to this other paper that someone sent me. It's not a particularly interesting paper. It's not in a particularly big journal. It's nothing like, oh my gosh, this landmark paper. I just want to give, walk through. It's got a good explanation of what racial literacy means and what people are doing with it. This is a paper uh, from 2014. It is in the Journal of Language and Literacy Education, Jolly, which is centered at UGA, which I assume is the University of Georgia. Um, that's what that usually stands for. And the title of the paper is We Gotta Change First, Racial Literacy in a High School English Classroom. So now we're going to look at this concept. We saw it in second grade, seven-year-olds, and now we're seeing it in a high school English classroom. Although I'm not going to go through 
my goal here is not to detail their goofy uh, so-called study where they, you know, observe a few classes and decide this is what's going to be appropriate for everybody. One of their classic BS bad uh, methodology maneuvers that we kind of exposed in the grievance studies affair that nobody took seriously enough. Um, my point is to be to go through the theoretical framing at the beginning and show you racial literacy and link it back to Paulo Freire so we understand what is this word racial literacy and why is it Freire in education? So thus, why was I correct to say your kids all go to Paulo Freire schools? Our kids go to Paulo Freire schools, which is a disaster. Paulo Freire destroyed education in Brazil, throughout South America. He will destroy education in North America, and we are well on the way. And your kids are cannon fodder. If you've listened to the Paulo Freire series that I'm doing so far, the phrase that keeps coming out of my mouth is, this is why your kids can't read. You don't teach children to read. You teach them to read a sociopolitical context in a Marxist way. You groom them to look at things in a Marxist way. Actually being functional at reading is just reproducing the existing society. That's bourgeois education. And that's why your kids can't read. That's why they can't do math. Racial literacy replacing actual literacy, which means to read racial situations everywhere, to read racial racialism into everything, which is a critical race theory maneuver. Why? Racism is the ordinary state of affairs. It's so-called normal science, not an aberration from them, according to critical race theory and introduction. The question is no longer, did racism take place, but how did racism manifest in this situation, according to Robin D'Angelo? who, by the way, wrote that in her guidelines for educators because she went into K-12 education. She's not just a corporate HR person doing her white fragility. It's, she's also in white, uh, white awareness literacy or white awareness education um, consultant, her consultancy. So she's th these ideas that racism is present in everything, and you need critical race theory to learn to read it there is the key. So this is the same thing that Freire did. Classism, the oppressive society is everywhere, and you need to learn to read through critical theory. You need to learn to read it there, and we're going to groom you through a dialogical method, etc., to do that. And so racial literacy in a high school English classroom in this paper, like I said, the full title is We Gotta Change First. That's in quotes because they quoted somebody. So it's an inner work where you're going to change yourself. You're going to awaken the consciousness in yourself, just like Freire has. And then the subtitle tells you what it's about, racial literacy in a high school English classroom. This is by Amy Vetter and Holly Hungerford Kesser, or sorry, Kresser, K-R-E-S-S-O-R. -S -S and that's a hyphenated last name, Hungerford Kresser. And she is at, uh, Holly Hungerford Kresser is at the University of Texas at Arlington, and Amy Vetter is at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. So you can find those people if you need to talk to them about how bad this is. All right, so I'm not going to read the abstract. I'm just going to jump in. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read the introduction, and then I'm going to read the theoretical framing about racial literacy because I want to show you what the point of this podcast is to show you what racial literacy means because racial literacy is everywhere in all of our educational programs. It's held up. It's this important thing. It's the justification for things like ethnic studies. It's the justification for things like multicultural education, all these things that they put out there that sound good, culturally relevant and responsive teaching and so on that sound good, but are actually Marxism posing as education. 
Though the Freirean model recomposed not in regular Marxism or not in critical Marxism as Freire actually had it in critical Marxism, critical theory, but now in critical race theory, in other words, race Marxism. So what we're seeing is the race Marxification of education, and all they've done is replace critical consciousness with racial consciousness, and then repackage it with some different words using critical race theory as a vehicle. And all that's doing is repackaging Freire's schools and making it racist, as if that's going to make it better. It's already a disaster. Let's just make it racist so it becomes even worse. Um, and so just to kind of dive in, I don't want to drag this out. Social justice education, they tell us, is a process and a goal. Okay, so this is already, you, you hear this in the Marxist literature all the time. First of all, everything that Freire is talking about was, you know, as a process of change, as a process of freedom, blah, 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 blah. Cultural uh, adult literacy process as a cultural action for freedom the social worker's role in the process of change. These are the uh, kinds of titles that the uh, chapters have in Freire's Politics of Education. So what he actually says there when he talks about praxis is praxis is, so praxis is putting in putting Marxist theory into practice. And what he actually says is that, in fact, that's what praxis means, is that it's a process and a goal at the same time. You know the end point. That's Marxism 101. Heretofore, society has, man and society have evolved kind of randomly, naturalistically, natural selection. The consciousness awoke with Marx and his scientific study of history. So now the means, the dialectical process, and the goal, communism, are envisioned in the minds of the conscious man, in the awakened man, the one with class consciousness or critical consciousness or whatever the relevant consciousness is, and we get to the end of that. So what they're saying is social justice education is a process and a goal. Now, they continue, but I'm going to pause there because what they actually have said is this is Marxism. Social justice education is Marxist education, is what they've said. The Marxification of education, just like Freire did. But what is it a process and a goal for? Social justice education, they say, is a process and a goal for, quote, interrupting current practices that reproduce social, cultural, moral, economic, gendered, intellectual, and physical injustices. That's a hell of a list. But what did I tell you? The Freirean whole thing, right, is that education exists to reproduce the existing society. And that's riffing off of Herbert Marcuse's language, the existing society is the way he likes to put it. And then Freirean education, his method, critical pedagogy, stands in opposition to that. And its goal is to interrupt that. So here we hear it explicitly. Social justice education is a process and a goal for interrupting current practices that we could say that reproduce the existing society, but they spell it out. That reproduce social, cultural, moral, economic, gendered, intellectual, and physical injustices. Okay, so the goal of education now is no longer to educate you to... Under, under bourgeois education, the goal would be to educate you to read, write, do math, fit into society, succeed, get a job, be productive, whatever all of the goals of education happen to be in reality. But in social justice education, the goal is not to do any of that. It is to interrupt all of that. And this is why your kids can't read. To interrupt such practices and prepare children to participate in U.S. democracy and a global society. A global society, really? Really? Did they say that? A global society? Really? That's communism. But the purpose of this, 
They're telling us that interrupt such practices and prepare children to participate in a U.S. democracy and a global society, literacy educators must address race, racism, and anti-racism in an educative manner. Although many teachers integrate multicultural education and or elements of culturally relevant pedagogy, they are hesitant to engage students in discussions about issues of race and racism. And they cite Gloria Latson Billings here. Now listen, this is their constant trick. They're in a cult. Okay, and you have to understand this. And this is why they go out, like, all their words become obsolete, and then they go after themselves for using bad language. I just saw today on Twitter that somebody said they're not going to use people of color anymore because that sets up an idea of people of non-color and listen to how screwed up that is. And so they've got to come up with new language, and that's just reproducing. It, it, they said that it comes from the position of the white gaze to even say people of color. So what this does, this is a cult technique. This isn't like, haha, they're stupid and they eat their own, the or- Ouroboros or whatever, the snake that eats its own tail. I mean, that is it, and it's a circ- circular firing line, haha, and they destroy themselves. Yes, it is, but that's not what this is. This is cult programming within the cult. It's like getting to deeper levels of cult. So you're never good enough. You always have to go deeper. And that's what Freire says. When you arrive at, we haven't got to that part in the book yet, but he says, when you arrive at the critical consciousness, the next step is to take the critical consciousness deeper. When you get the revolution, it means you need more critical consciousness, not less. You don't get to relax. You have to become more concentrated in this. And that's what we're hearing here. We're hearing the lever by which they manipulate. The people in the cult are the ones they can manipulate. They can't manipulate you if you're based, if you're outside the cult. That's what being based means is they can't manipulate you into their stupid cult. And so if you're outside the cult, they can't manipulate you. Maybe they'll catch you or get you. But the main thing is to concentrate adherence, concentrate faith in the people who have been sucked into the cult. So although... They write this, although many teachers integrate multicultural education or elements of culturally relevant pedagogy, then they go on to say you're not doing it good enough. You're an ally, but you're not doing your allyship right. You need to try harder. You need to do better. That is deepening the cult commitment. That's all they're doing. And so here, lots of teachers are integrating this, but you're not doing it hard enough. You're not doing it good enough. You're not doing it enough because they are hesitant to engage. There's something wrong with you. You're, you. You don't have what it takes. They're hesitant to engage students in discussions about issues of race and racism, which certainly is not true. Um, this reminds me, I was talking to a pastor a couple of years ago when this was all kind of breaking out on the scene and people were kind of desperate to get ideas. And they were saying, we're trying so hard. We're, we've gone and we've reached out and we're trying to get you know more black pastors and things like that involved in our church. And we just can't find them. And then we're being told you're not doing enough. And it's like, yeah, you're being told you're not doing enough because you're willing to try. You're being extorted. And then you're like, I'll be extorted. I'll fall into your extortion racket. Sure. And then they're like, not good enough. Do more. Do more. Do more. Not because they need it or whatever, but because they see that you're a mark. You will you'll fall into the cult. And so here it is. We have all these teachers. Well, you're trying, but you're not doing it good enough. More. Deepen it more cult commitment. This is what this is. This cult stuff. Why are we making our education system into a cult? This is what it is. So anyway, these hesitations, they tell us, are understandable. So let's not burn you too bad. Because conversations about racism are personal, vulnerable, and have the potential to disrupt an already delicate classroom community. These people are psychopaths. Talk about these issues, however, is imperative to fostering racial literacy. Well, 
Why do we want to foster racial literacy? What does it even mean? We'll get to that. Transforming social positions. Oh, it means Marxism. How about that? And developing the foundations of a community that leverages the linguistic and cultural backgrounds of all students. Marxism. In other words, racial literacy is, it really does say this. I know sometimes I think they made a typo and I'm the stupid one that can't read. Haha. <laughs> Not this time. In other words, remember this is an education paper, racial literacy is, then in italics, engages students in social justice. So I'll just read it straight up without the little pause to point out the italics, engages students as in italics. In other words, racial literacy is engages students in social justice. Developing racial literacy helps students think about the social, cultural, and political aspects of their experiences with a focus on race. How is that different from what I just told you about Freirean education? You no longer teach them to participate in the existing society, so you don't teach them to read, to write, to know science or history or anything relevant or useful. Instead, you teach them to read the socio-political context in which they're in and groom them into seeing it in a Marxist way. And what, what did we just hear? The only thing that's changed is with a focus on race. They just added a little clause on the end, following Gloria Ladson Billings, who they've already cited here, Ad, uh, explanation in her paper toward a critical race theory of education from 1995, which is not the one cited here, to be clear. Uh, they cite her 2003 paper, which apparently I'm going to have to read through at some point because it gets cited in all of these racial literacy uh, papers. Where she said, though, that critical race theory exists to make race the central construct for understanding inequality. Okay, so developing racial literacy help students think about the social, cultural, and political aspects of their experiences with a focus on race. That's just Freirean Marxist literacy with a focus on race. To solidify that point, we use Keisha's, all names here are pseudonyms, words for the article's title to illustrate how these discussions opened opportunities for her and her high school peers to consider dilemmas related to issues of race, such as how social and cultural transformation occurs. Well, that's just Marxism, but let me go back. What are Keisha's words, the title of the paper? We got to change first. We're going to use that. And so um, let me reread that part again and then hit hit you with what it actually says. Okay, so to, to solidify that point, we use Keisha's words. We got to change first for the article's title to illustrate how these discussions opened opportunities for her. Opened opportunities for what? For her and her high school peers to consider dilemmas related to issues of race, like what? Such as how social and cultural transformation occurs. Now, let's back up. What did Paulo Freire, riffing off of George Lukács, the Hungarian Marxist who was deputy commissar of education in the short-lived Hungarian-Soviet regime in 1919, what literally, you, I read history and class consciousness and the politics of education in parallel, one chapter, one chapter, one chapter, because I got sick of reading each one of them. And so I kind of went back and forth between them. I know what a charming, fun thing to do to ease my mind is to read one Marxist educator after another in parallel. And so what I saw was that Freire is reproducing uh, Lukács' very deep understanding of what class consciousness means. And Lukács lays out this idea that it comes in stages. But the, one of the last stages, the most important elements, is not just knowing you're in the oppressed class. It's not nearly enough. You also have to know that your class has a role to play, a very specific role to play as the underclass. You have a very specific role to play, a revolutionary role. 
in transforming the society, and you also have to be conscious of what that transformed society looks like. Okay? So what this means is, what they said is, oh wow, we thought that racial literacy, to solidify the point, we use these words, we got to change first. Got to be in us. We've got to use generative concepts through racial literacy, as Freire might put it, to awaken in ourselves an awareness of race as critical race theory, as race Marxism sees it, so that we can understand how social and cultural transformation works. In other words, so that we understand our racial class role in the revolution for a Marxist utopia at the end of history. In other words, literally, we're talking like whether it's level three or four of class consciousness, but racial class consciousness now. That's all this is talking about. Where Freire said, when you get the revolution, you need more critical consciousness. We're talking about the level of critical consciousness now, such as how social and cultural transformation takes place. Well, for, for this, how is it? Is that we got to change first. We got to awaken and form solidarity at the bottom level in the oppressed class. And we're going to take that solidarity and we're going to become a revolutionary block. And as Kimberly Crenshaw tells us, the uh, meaningful politic of identity exists there. Meaningful politic of identity exists by making your race, racial literacy, racial understanding, racial consciousness, an anchor for your subjectivity. And then co cobbling together, really, in solidarity, because she says that the uh, the unified voices of millions is far more powerful than the disparate voices of a few who are actually the small number of people who are actually facing injustice, which a functioning individual rights-based justice system could actually deal with if we weren't trying to do group rights, which is what social justice defines itself as in another education book about social justice education. We carry on. In particular, they tell us, lack of dialogue about race is a form of action. Lack of dialogue about race is a form of action that leaves assumptions unexamined. So what they're accusing here is that inaction is a form of action, and in fact the hint is that it's a deliberate form of action that is maintaining the status quo and thus marginalizing conversations about race and thus marginalizing people who would benefit from racial literacy. It's just a reproduction of Freire's exact model. It is the uh, racial illiterate as the marginal man. With that said, they say, research has shown that teachers must facilitate talk about race carefully. Research, I'm sure it's great. Because some discussions can be harmful if a group is stereotyped. No kidding. Teachers who have been successful in promoting such dialogue consistently set up a class tone and structure that builds trust normalizes conversations about race, and challenges assumptions about race and racism. So what have they set up here? Not talking about race is a form of action that's bad. You have to talk about race, but then we have to be careful about how we talk about race. So you're going to need specialized consultants to tell you about how to talk about race. And so the grift, and so the vanguard party model of race Marxism, Leninism 4.0, comes into into uh, focus here as to what they're actually saying. We have to talk about race because if you don't, you're taking action that marginalizes people in important conversations. But if you don't do it right, bad things are going to happen. Bad things are going to happen if you don't do it right. So guess what? How convenient that we have a consulting group 
or whatever that will now facilitate this for you. How convenient that we become the experts that get to tell you how to do this. Specifically, some teachers use questions, notice and respond to racial issues, and encourage reflectiveness and curiosity. Such conversations require consistent and continuous practice, specifically when it comes to fostering dialogue at a deeper level. Teachers who have engaged in racial literacy practices and professional development are typically more confident facilitating such conversations in their own classrooms. Oh, the ones who went to the consulting group seminars that they're selling (laughs) are more uh, confident in facilitating such conversations in their own classrooms because they are familiar with the characterizations of race and racism, such as essentializing race, colorblindness, and the myth of individualism. In other words, they're critical race theorists. So they're zealots who want to find racism and everything and want to talk about race every opportunity they get. And they want to downplay the myth of individualism, really. And they don't want to talk about colorblindness. And they want to talk about essentializing by race because what they're doing is what's called structural essentialism or moral essentialism uh, rather than biological essentialism by pretending it's all social constructs. But they are essentializing race. You can't be literate in race if you're not essentializing race and saying it has essential categories that you can learn to read. I mean, come on. So they want to bring it up so that they can preempt it. And then they are going to dismiss colorblindness. And they even call it explicitly the myth of individualism. And those are the people, those are the trained people who are able to have not having the conversation at all, bad. But if you have it wrong, bad, maybe worse, causes harm, harm, oh no, harm, harm, the word harm, harmful, harm, trauma, oh no which comes out of an offshoot of Scientology I found out recently. How about that? Um, it's called uh, re-something. i got to look it up. I can't ever remember. Um, I think I can find it very quickly. I have it on my phone. Uh, it's called re-something, though. Uh, it's RC as the initials. Um, re-evaluation counseling. It is an offshoot of Scientology that uses no aliens and more therapeutic language. This stuff's a cult. It's all just a gigantic freaking cult. It's literally Marxism married to Scientology dressed up as therapy is where all that harm or trauma informed comes from. And who was the woman who brought it into the world of race and racism? Herbert Marcuse's third wife, who was completely hooked up. R- Ricky, uh, something or other Marcuse. She had a maiden name and they hyphenated it because they're leftists. But Ricky Marcuse uh, is her name. And so she is the one. She was in this Scientology offshoot cult. And she is the one who was latched onto Marcuse's ideas near the end, 1969, when he wrote the essay on liberation, that the ghetto population is where you're going to find the vital energy and vital needs so that the new vanguard needs to move out of the working class and into the racial dimension. All this crap, that's where this comes from. It's literally a marriage of neo-Marxism and freaking Scientology dressed up as pop psychology. And that's why it sounds like that. that Because it is that. And you're like, well, that's tenuous. No, literally, Herbert Marcuse, who came up with the idea to move out of the working class into the race dimension, literally Herbert Marcuse's wife, who was all hooked up in his ideas at the relevant time, and those were the ideas that she latched onto most tightly, decided that it took her, her cult experience in a Scientology offshoot cult that literally uses therapy words, re-evaluative counseling, re-evaluative counseling to create this. Now listen, though, now that we've said re-evaluative counseling, 
Listen to this. What did they actually say? Where is it? Such conversations require consistent and continuous practice, specifically when it comes to fostering dialogue at a deeper level. So you see Freire's dialogical method, but what the hell? Consistent and continuous practice? This kind of, what's the message? We got to change first. You better reevaluate. Somebody should be a reevaluative counselor for you. This isn't like a conspiracy theory. These are This is what these nutjob leftists, these broken people trying to figure out their lives and to get a revolution, were doing. This is, There you go. Harm, harm, trauma, trauma. Scientology, guys. Not even Scientology. It's like an offshoot dime store Scientology. It's a knockoff Scientology. Like, it's not even real Scientology. It's a knockoff Scientology using pop psychology terminology in place of, you know, rather than doing an audit, now you're doing a reevaluative meeting or whatever the hell. They have some name for it. I'm not an expert in this yet. I haven't read that book yet. But I digress because we're talking about Paulo Freire and racial literacy. To increase the facilitation of such conversations, we, the authors, believe that educators would benefit from more research that examines how students and teachers navigate discussions about race in everyday classrooms, particularly in small group conversations, dialogical model, wherein teachers and, sorry, educators and learners learn together as equals. Specifically, we argue that examining peer group conversations could provide insight into how high school students engage in racial literacy practices independent from adult supervision. This examination is especially pertinent to high school teachers who are preparing students to engage in social justice practices independently in higher education, grooming, in future careers, and as active citizens in their communities. Now, active citizen is a code word. It's a dog whistle. Okay, it means activist citizens. It, it, it's a it's a idea very important to Henry Drew. If you read Henry Drew's books, remember, Paulo Freire is the prophet and Henry Drew is his evangelist. The religion is Marxism, critical Marxism. And Henry Drew is his evangelist. And he talks all the time about active citizens. He talks about, you know, a democratic society under his vision, a critically democratic society. Active citizens in their communities means activists in pursuing Marxism. So now we're grooming students to engage in social justice practices independently in higher education. So they take it out of the high school into their colleges so that the colleges are trapped by a student base that wants that. And then they get more and more woke to serve the student base that they aren't strong enough spined to say, no, we're adults. You're not going to learn this garbage. Plus they're ideologically captured on their own in their future careers. Remember that virus model that educate that women's studies is a virus paper I read for another podcast here where they explicitly said we're going to teach them in school so they go into their other departments when they go to graduate school and into their careers as infectious agents to bring the ideology into those. So now this is how we're going to infect HR departments in their future careers and as activist, sorry, active citizens in their communities. To fill that need, this article, so anyway, groomer schools, they're grooming them to become sociopolitical activists with regard to um, a race Marxist ideology. They're explicit about it. You just have to know what the words mean. To fill that need, this article investigates how three high school students, three, three, three high school students engaged in racial literacy practices through small group conversations about issues of race and segregation in regards to an 11th grade English language arts assignment. One assignment, one class, three students, and their dialogue becomes the basis for a freaking paper. This is absurd. We're going to base 
racial literacy programs across the country, across North America, across the world, at least the world that needs to be in, that's in the West and needs to be manipulated into communism. China's already there. We're going to do three students in one assignment, in one classroom, in one school. This is the, what they call research. This is a published paper. This is what they call research. Three students. It's enraging. This is why we did the Grievance Studies Affair, because we were reading things like this. And we were seeing, I mean, several of our papers. One of our papers was about sex toys, as many people know. Sorry to bring that up, but it is. And we claimed that we did interviews with 13 men and thought that that was a preposterously small number. I thought it would be even funnier if we made it where five of the men were, were actually irrelevant to the research, but we interviewed them anyway. We did another paper that was about pronouns, and we interviewed something like seven people. We made it all up, of course. This is what I'm talking about. And here, this article investigates how three high school students engaged in racial literacy practices through small group conversations about issues of race and segregation in regards to an 11th grade English language arts assignment. God, it's not research. We're basing our education off of a crackpot theory implemented on the back of so-called studies that talk about three kids doing one assignment. This is published academic literature. The University of Georgia should be embarrassed to have allowed this to go out with its name on its header. This journal shouldn't exist after having published this. But we're here to talk about racial literacy. Theoretical framework. Racial literacy. This is as far as we're going to go. We're going to read through this section so we can talk about racial literacy, what racial literacy means, because racial literacy is everywhere, but you already know what it means now. It is the race Marxist reinvention of Paulo Freire's critical Marxist education program. That's all it is. Your kids go to Paulo Freire's schools. They've just been racialized and sexualized. Grooming schools. Because Paulo Freire, as we just discussed in a previous episode, is the birth of groomer schools. It was indoctrinator schools, in a sense, maybe before he made it into groomer schools. Sociopolitical grooming into a Marxist way of thinking about literally everything that literally, literally replaces the concept of literacy. Learning to read your sociopolitical context is true literacy. Learning to read is bourgeois false literacy. That's the Freirean model. We use, they say proudly, a racial literacy framework to highlight the importance of recognizing, responding to, and countering forms of everyday racism, especially in classrooms. The question is not, did racism take place, but how did racism manifest in this situation? Signed, Critical Race Theory. We conceptualize race as a social and historical concept. How many Marxist books do I have to read to you before you realize every time you hear social and historical, they mean Marxism? What was Marxism? Wissenschaftlicher Socialismus. What was Marxism? It was the scientific study of social and historical formations so that you can become conscious of them, so that you can direct the course of them through a eugenics-based process to a communism with a biological foundation for socialism. Did I exaggerate? No, I didn't. You want the citations for every one of those things? I mean, obviously, the Biological Foundation for Socialism is chapter one of Herbert Marcuse's uh, Essay on Liberation. It's literally the title of the first 
chapter of that long essay short book. Okay, and we've covered what Marxism is over and over again. It is a scientific study of history and social formations, which is what history actually is, is the history of social formations, so that the conscious can awaken to their role in history, which is what Freire's literacy is about. That's what Lukács' class consciousness is actually about at its deeper level, so that they can seize the means of social production, thus course of history, such that it arrives at the utopia, which Marcuse tells us requires a biological foundation for socialism, which is based off of Marx's idea that man has to be remade into social man and society with him into so uh, socialist society, co-continuously by a uh, by the guidance by the seized means of production of the awakened proletariat. We conceptualize race as a social and historical concept. You didn't know how much is in that, did you? It's very important to realize. That is formed and reformed throughout society by individuals and groups of people, citing Ladson Billings. Okay, that is formed and reformed throughout society. Man makes society, makes man, makes society, makes man. How many times do I have to tell you guys that this is the Marxist religion? And what would happen if you educated people wrong? Well, they would reform the existing society. If you educated them into the existing society, they're just going to reproduce the existing society. They're going to think it's good and it's normal and it's the right way. So you have to give them a historical break from that by letting the conscious, the racially class conscious here, seize the means of production of education and redefine literacy so that literacy means learning to read racial context through critical race theory, through race Marxism into everyday situations, into their generative situations in the Freirean language. Okay. As, so, as a socially constructed concept, social construction is a Marxist dog whistle as well. It doesn't just mean that it's something that is abstract. It means that it has a entire, it, it, it is a social concept that creates social conditions that structure society. It's a socially constructed concept, so it's really a political construct, a socio-political construct that shapes people's lives. As a socially constructed concept, in the Marxist way, by the way, Race is relational, social relations, this is Marxism, and establishes levels of privilege and power that stratifies society for people in particular settings. So what was Marx's theory, just to really drive this home, is that the means of production, as it were, his were material and economic, but now we could be talking about, say, material and social production, cultural production, that these means of production stratify society and then it puts people, that stratification into the upper class and the lower class, the bourgeois and the proletariat, that stratification of society puts people into an antagon class antagonistic relationship that has, by the nature of them being in different social positions, social relations between them, that set of social relations, how the upper class relates to the lower class and vice versa, that set of social relations therefore structures society and everybody is positioned relationally to that structure of power as a socially constructed concept, race or class or whatever is relational and establishes levels of privilege and power for people in particular settings. All they're telling you is that they're using a Marxist theory of what race is, which is of course what their definition of race is. I've read this many times. Let's see if I can find it on my desktop. I have so many things here. If I can find it very quickly. Uh, their definition of race, you'll hear that they've already got the structural definition of race. I think I have it open. 
Oh, I know I have it open on my phone. So let me pull it up. I know we're doing this very uh, relaxed, kind of cool or whatever. Like I'm just winging it. But this is how I do everything. So this is from the Brandeis University uh, Social Justice Definite Encyclopedia or de- glossary that they have on their website. Brandeis University definition of race. Remember, as it, so this is the this is the because I rambled there. Here's the context. As a socially constructed concept, race is relational and establishes levels of privilege and power for people in particular settings. What is their definition of race? A misleading and deceptively appealing classification of human beings created by white people originally from Europe, which assigns human worth and social status using the white racial identity as the archetype of humanity for the purpose of creating and maintaining privilege, power, and systems of oppression. And this is citing a book, uh, Lawrence and Kelleher, Proceedings from Race and Public Policy Conference, 2004, Chronic Disparity, Strong and Pervasive Evidence of Racial Inequalities from Berkeley, California. Okay, so that's what they mean by socially constructed concept of race, is that it was created by white people originally from Europe to hold themselves up as the archetype of humanity to give themselves access to power, privilege, uh, and systems of oppression. Okay, and it establishes levels of privilege and power. This is a Marxist theory of race. This isn't what race means. This is what Marxists made race mean so they could do critical race theory, which is race Marxism. And racial literacy is going to be learning to read the world this way instead of learning to actually read. Everyday practices such as talk or dress maintain and establish race. So we have to learn to read those situations. That's what racial literacy will be for minority students in the United States, sorry, in U.S. schools. For minority students in U.S. schools, race is often a prevailing narrative in their lives that inevitably shapes their social and school experiences. Ladson, Billing, and Tate, 1995. That is, that is toward a critical race theory of education from 1995. Historically, in the United States, equitable literacy education Freirian, has included the social justice movement that unfortunately has yet to come to fruition. We don't have our race communism yet. Racial justice isn't here. uh, Currently, schools and programs, for example, advanced placement, remain segregated. And here they are, 2014, telling you they're going to shoot at advanced placement classes. They're calling them segregated, not segregated by law, not segregated by policy, but segregated by uh, by fact of disparate outcomes, which is their only way that they measure anything. There's no equity there, therefore it must be segregated. Thus fostering the ideology that literacy education is merely a privilege for students of color. This is their favorite thing to say. You hear Joe Biden say this all the time. Education or healthcare is a right for certain people and a privilege for others. But we see that directly in Freire. We just read that out of Freire where he says that in fact, that exact thing, that, that the way that it's currently structured, white people have made things like education, a the upper class has made education a right for themselves and it's a privilege for others. Okay. So they're just tapping into the same line of thought. And it's scary that our president, Joe Biden, right now is saying these things, this exact same structure of thought, the Marxist structure of thought is coming out of the president of the United States mouth and domain after domain after domain after domain, whether that's education, whether that's healthcare, whether that's medicine, whether that's probably going to be police, military, you name it, finances, access to food, all these things. 
Specifically, they say some schools utilize a deficit ideology. Remember that banking model of education or the nutritionist model of education that Freire put down and said this is the wrong way to think about it? We don't think of the illiterate as the empty man. We think of the illiterate as the marginal man that's been marginalized by a society that favors being literate on its own terms. Some schools utilize a deficit ideology for culturally and linguistically diverse students that restrict access to equitable, equitable literacy education. In other words, they're not doing the Freirean model. In an attempt to, quote, overcome the structured dissension, uh, race has cemented in our popular consciousness. That's citing Gunier, 2004. Gunier argued for people becoming more literate about how racism permeates our social, cultural, and political worlds. Freirean literacy as education, but now race literacy. What a genius. Came up with this cool idea. Cited in the 2006 paper repeatedly as well, if you recall. The goal of racial literacy is to develop a set of social proficiencies that attempt to make sense of the discursive and performative systems of race, learning to read race in our society, learning to read how that's socially constructed, learning to read how that creates oppression according to the stratification just outlined, and learning to understand one's role as a uh, political block of activists, which we already also heard, to overthrow that system and create racial justice, as they call it, which is neo-communism, where race is the favored uh, neo-Marxist theory. Specifically, racial literacy develops an understanding of how race shapes the, quote, social, economic, political, and educational experiences of individuals and groups. It's quoting Skerritt, who I don't know anything about. While race is the central focus of racial literacy, the concept examine, this concept examines the dynamic and fluid relationship among race, class, gender, sexuality, and other markers of difference. So all of the different identity Marxist theories are part of the same identity Marxist theory, which is why I called it identity Marxism. And you could have not just racial literacy, but identity, identity literacy, sexual literacy. Oh, are they doing that? Groomer schools, aren't they? A person practices racial literacy by communicating with others in ways that challenge undemocratic practices. So we remember what democratic means. Democratic means everybody's equal. Everybody has equal voice, equal standing, equal stuff, equal outcomes, equal, equal, equitable, equity, socialism, or communism. Bourgeois democracy versus proletariat democracy, Vladimir Lenin. In addition, the practice of Racial literacy means to hear and appreciate diverse and unfamiliar experiences. So remember when I said that we had a Marxification of education under Freire, and that leads to a Marxification of knowledge? So what you know, what society considers knowledge, this also being a very postmodern concept, is the installation of a political process, and therefore it's bourgeois knowledge and not genuine knowledge. What's true and false is what's determined to be true and false by the powered elite, which is very resonant right now because they are fraudulently doing this to us. So knowledge isn't knowledge. Knowledge is what the bourgeois society values and thus can use to reproduce itself because that's what it values. It's so it's ideological versus the things it excludes that are other ways of knowing. That's a Marxist theory of knowledge, whether it's a Marxist epistemology. The epistemology itself became Marxist. Marxist theory went inside of epistemology. That's what other ways of knowing is about. 
And so that's what racial literacy is going to include. We have the Marxified liter literacy that is about learning to read and Marxified education, which is about knowing. Remember that Freire talks all the time about how the peasants are knowers and the stupid elite re don't regard them as knowers, even though they are knowers because they have other ways of knowing. That's what that is. It's the Marxification. It's a Marxist theory of knowledge. It's an internal epistemology. So well, how do we overcome that? Well, with race Marxism, the practice, practice of racial literacy means to hear and appreciate diverse and unfamiliar experiences, recognize how to ask questions, view racial issues through a critical lens that recognizes current and institutional aspects of racism, so become a race Marxist, and engage in talk even when it is difficult or awkward dialogical model where educators, aka groomers, and learners, aka cult marks, are learning together according to the groomer's definition of what needs to be learned and how it needs to be understood in dialogue as equals. Thus, a racially literate person addresses race in ways that recognize race as a structural rather than individual problem. So you became a race Marxist, views debates with a democratic context, in other words, became a Marxist, understands that racial identities are learned so that's why they got to bring in like rap songs and a culturally re relevant and responsive teaching. Okay. And facilitates problem solving within the community becomes that becomes activists. This is what that means. Consistently engaging in racial literacy requires practice and the concept deserves more investigation, especially in, uh, sorry, especially in relation to the content and structure of racial literacy dialogue in classrooms, dialogue, dialogue, dialogue. So weird how they would bring that up so many times. More research then is needed. No kidding, because this is all bullshit. So what they mean by more research is needed is for them to do more studies on three students at a time in one classroom and then to use something like critical, uh, what is it called? Critical discourse analysis to determine what the what they studied in three students really means for them. Because as we know, the question is not, did racism take place, but how do we read racism into that situation? Oh, I, I said it wrong, didn't I? That's racial literacy version. How did racism manifest in that situation? Sorry. How do you, how do you read racism? No, no, no. How did it manifest? Because it's there. Not how do you read it into, because that would be racial literacy. Wait, sorry. More research then is needed to examine how teachers and students share knowledge in ways that foster racial literacy. There's only one way. It has to be more Freirian education made racist. Thus, we draw from sociocultural theorists. Oh, thank God. Thus, we draw from sociocultural theorists who argue that in whole group contexts, remember all that holism thing, that holistic stuff we talked about with Freire and Lukács? Teachers can guide, quote, the construction of knowledge through classroom interactions. When in small groups, students might struggle with figuring out how to work together especially in regards to social and cultural issues. Because of those struggles, students need more opportunities to practice autonomous dialogue and collaborative problem solving. Mercer, well, that's collective, collectivism. And also we're doing dialogue instead of learning. We're not learning to read. We're not learning to do math. We're having dialogue with each other about race. Wonderful use of class time. Mercer from 2000 found that students typically engaged in three types of talk when attempting to solve a problem. Sometimes students engaged in disputational talk in which students disagreed 
made individual decisions and fostered a competitive rather than cooperative space. Now we see where this is going, don't we? Sometimes they had disputational talk. That sounds bad. They're disputing. They're trying to work things out. Nope, they're not being collaborative. They're not being collectivists. Okay. Other times students engaged in cumulative talk in which everyone accepted and agreed with one another, resulting in an uncritical dialogue that did not promote problem solving. Finally, students sometimes engage in exploratory talk. Doesn't that one sound the best? How much you want to bet it's critical theory. In which they listened actively, treated opinions with respect, shared a sense of purpose, and critically sought for agreement for joint decisions. Huh. Mercer found that the students who engaged in exploratory talk were more successful at solving problems in ways that fostered collaborative learning. Because students in this study were uh, in a small group focused on solving a problem, we drew from these sociocultural theories to examine how students used talk in ways that fostered racial literacy practices. Okay, so the rest of this paper is actually describing their three student um, exploration. It's a kind of a very long paper. I didn't read all of it. I didn't find it to be very interesting. Um, the conclusions are also not very interesting. It's like more research. We need to do more of this. Uh, but wasn't this great when we forced racial literacy onto people and changing the quality of talk in the classroom. Um, but the goal is this racial literacy, right? And so what they ended up concluding, the findings examine how these student-led conversations fostered or did not foster racial literacy over time. Our findings suggest that the practice of racial literacy is an interactive process that can be co-constructed in student-centered groups. In particular, the small group participants supported one another in practicing racial literacy by hearing and appreciating diverse and unfamiliar experiences. How Freirian is all this? Facilitating problem solving within the community. How activist. And creating opportunities to talk about race instead of, say, learning to friggin' read. They also exhibited how racial literacy includes challenging each other's ideas, especially when a group member essentializes race. In other words, problematizing. What did Freire tell us is the goal, and I bet if I read this in detail, we would find it in here. What was the goal? That you codify situations. In other words, you make them abstract so that the person in them can set themselves critically apart from them. Then you problematize. Now that they've set themselves outside of that experience, you problematize what they're looking at. And then after you problematize, you make it concrete by bringing it back, back to them, creating opportunities to talk about race, challenging each other's ideas, especially when a group member essentializes race. So what they're doing is that Freirian process, particularly the problematizing. Don't you think that was a little bit racist? Da-da-da. Thus, this study contributes to a much-needed discussion. I don't think it does. Personally, my opinion. This study contributes to a much-needed discussion regarding how student-centered dialogue about race and segregation works in, in small groups in a classroom. In addition, this research opens questions about not only the content of conversations that attempt to make sense of segregation and racism, but also the structure of dialogue that fosters this kind of thinking. Such information can be useful to teachers interested in fostering racial literacy, which should be zero teachers, specifically in student-led projects, which should also probably be zero teachers. To further explore that structure, we discuss the following elements of dialogue practiced in the small group. Tentative ideas were treated with respect, ideas were challenged, and agreement was sought through the discussion of alternative ideas. And then on and on this kind of goes. Um, there's names and so on. But in general, the very last bit that they write here is, uh, thus racial literacy is not something students can reach as an ultimate goal. Instead, it is something that students must practice through constant conversation. 
With new perspectives and experiences, these conversations are likely to shift over time and can be used as a powerful tool for building the capacity for social justice in our schools. What we're seeing is the application of Paulo Freire's method, and by the way, Paulo Freire is cited, um, a dialogue, culture, race, sorry, culture, language, and race from Harvard Educational Review um, in uh, 1995. So he is cited, but his key works, like The Politics of Education and The Pedagogy of the Oppressed, from which this was clearly taken, are not actually cited here. Um, you kind of can see with these Gunier citations also, by the way, or Gunier, or however you say this name, Gunier, uh, that this is where, this is the person who really moved the Freirean model into um, racial into race Marxism, uh, from racial, the Gunier 2004, which is cited repeatedly earlier, from racial liberation to, or, sorry, from racial liberalism to racial literacy, Brown versus Board of Education and the Interest Divergence, divergence Dilemma. And then uh, this is, I mean, from racial liberalism to racial literacy. I mean, just just telling you straight up what they're all about. And so what we're dealing with, with racial literacy, what is racial literacy? That was the point of this podcast. I don't want to get digressed into all this crap. The point of this was to say that racial literacy is Paulo Freire's Marxist literacy or critical literacy reproduced in the racial frame, which is all the race Marxists do. They're not creative people. They've just repackaged either Marxism, neo-Marxism, critical Marxism, I guess, instead of neo-Marxism. So Marxism, critical Marxism, or whatever cultural Marxism that Lukács is putting out, and they've just repackaged it into um, the race context. That's critical race theory. It's just race Marxism, really. That's why I wrote a book called that. Secondly, Freire just created education Marxism or literacy Marxism or knowledge Marxism. And then it took him a few years from 1985 when Freire broke out into the American scene, North American scene, until I guess this is 2014, but we saw it in the 2006 paper, 2004 being the Gunier paper, Gwinier or whatever that name is. They finally figured out how to smash those two things together. You know, almost 20 years it took them to figure that out, to mix those two things together. And this is what we end up with with racial literacy. So racial literacy is the reproduction in racial stratification theories. In other words, in race Marxism, it is the reproduction of Paulo Freire's critical education, which is a Marxification of education that is arrived at through the method he calls the dialogical model, which is grooming, political, social political grooming. Okay, and since they invoked other dimensions of identity, like identity, like uh, sex, gender, and sexuality, we can also add in the sexualization of children, which is a, its own kind of grooming. I'm not saying that that's pedophilic grooming, although that's happening too, because those groomers can't be stopped when you're doing sexualization of children as a form of grooming for socio-political goals. This is why I constantly put out that meme of pedophiles, Marxists with a handshake in the word groomers, because that's what's going on. They're both groomers and one can't filter out the other. So when you have the sexualization of children as a form of grooming, we also can't avoid dipping back to Georgia Lukács, who realized that is a strong, powerful Marxist goal, making the sexualization of children will sever the ties between the past generation and the present generation. But we have that in racial literacy too. The old generation was racist. We want to sever our ties from the old ways of thinking, the old culture, the old things. 
Because now we understand we have to be racially literate and see how racism was coded in everything that we've ever been doing. And now we're going to learn to read that codification so that we can then problematize it and decodify it and become class conscious in our racial class so that we can become aware of our role in history to remake society according to race Marxism and achieve racial justice, which is just racial neo-communism. And so that's what racial literacy means. Every time you see those two words, racial literacy, you should understand that this is a repackaging of a Marxist program in education. And it goes kind of deep, but it's not really that deep. It's not really that hard to understand. Um, this is why I'm doing the critical education series. This is why I'm spending so much time on Paulo Freire. Uh, I'll do a little bit more Freire probably for the next couple after this. we got to get through chapter seven, which is its own nightmare about class consci- or about consciousness or the, con- the process of becoming conscious conscientization, conscientit chow, or something like that in in Portuguese. But um, I've got another paper that's kind of one of these tangential ones I've got to get to soon too, sent to me by my by a wonderful friend, Paul Rossi, uh, who's doing excellent work to go after independent schools, private schools, is the word you might usually use for this, and looking at what the, the catastrophe of the National Association of Independent Schools, NAIS, to show that they, in fact, are even woker than um, the public schools, if you can believe that. They're worse. And there's a million reasons why that makes sense, which, by the way, school choice advocates need to think through what they're doing carefully because of that fact. Nevertheless, Paul sent me this wonderful paper where literally it's talking about how to, and I want to read through it, how to how and why they should be focusing on trying to raise critical consciousness in private school students, even though there appears to be a contradictory paradox there because they're rich. And so it's a fascinating look. And the author of that paper, who not to spoil the fun, but the author of that paper literally, literally cites this is written this year, 2022, literally cites one Vladimir Lenin for a cause. So We have a researcher explaining why critical consciousness is necessary in private schools throughout all private schooling, citing Vladimir Lenin in 2022 as the reason or as some of the justification for that. It's a fascinating little read. And that's what's happening in our private schools. Why? So they can have critical or Marxist or racial literacy or sexual literacy. That's why you got to read Lawn Boy. That's why you got to read Gender Queer. So you can have sexual literacy which is just a repackaging of the Marxification of education by Paulo Freire into other identity politics-based domains, intersectional domains, identity Marxist domains. So I hope you understand racial literacy more every time you see that word now, every time you see that term, racial literacy, anything where you see something kind of suspicious looking like an identity politics term or the word critical before the word literacy, it's Marxism. And you can be sure it's Marxism, and now you understand why. Uh, So racial literacy is just Paulo Freire turned racist, applied to your children. That's why they can't read, but they know why everything in the universe might be racist, even if it's not.